Good morning, my name is Chris, and the Old Testament reading is found in Ezekiel 34, 7 through 10. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer sh- shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they, meet, that they may not be food for them. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found this morning in John. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Father, open up our hearts this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you open us up to have soft hearts, hearts that are ready to receive your word to us. So let it speak, God. Let the entrance of your word bring life and light into our being, we pray this morning. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's estimated that before us, before the seven billion people that now live on planet Earth, before us, there have been about 100 billion people who have walked the planet. Now, you know how these guesstimates go. They're working with population models and all of this stuff. But they think that it's a reasonable guess that there have been 100 billion people who have walked the earth before you and me. Think about that. And yet, here we are still talking about one man, Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, we can't get enough of this Jesus. We are endlessly fascinated. What is it about his life? Time magazine has featured Jesus, some sort of art depiction of Jesus on their cover 21 times in the last 70 years. 21 times. Far more than any other celebrity or political figure or any other uh, personality, Jesus has been featured even by a magazine like Time because we just 
can't get enough of this man from Galilee. And the question is, what are we to make of Jesus? Now, if you have conversations with your friends at work or at university or college, whatever, your neighborhood, maybe when you gather at neighborhood get-togethers and it comes up that you go to church and they're like, oh yeah, Jesus. Inevitably, somebody will say, I like what Jesus said. Jesus said some good things and then they'll go on. Most of them can tell you what he said about loving our enemies and maybe turning the other cheek and they'll say, I love what Jesus said some really good things. And so most people have some sort of value for the teachings of Jesus. But the same gospels that give us the teachings of Jesus also give us these extraordinary claims that Jesus made. And so if we're going to value his teachings, we have to at least grapple with his claims to say, wait a minute, but who is he? And so Jesus asked his disciples this question, who do you say that I am? That's the reason we have been opening our service this way as a way of cueing the response in our own hearts to say, oh yeah, who do we say that Jesus is? But this series is about who Jesus said he is. The I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John, there's a number of times where Jesus says, I am. And it's certainly an echo of this great name of God in the Old Testament, the, the, the name that comes proclaimed from the voice in this burning bush when Moses is there. And it says, I, you tell him the I am is sending you. I am who I am. And so we sang it this morning, the great I am. And there's certainly an echo there of Jesus in, his, in these sayings of associating himself with the great I am. And each one of these claims shed a particular light on who Jesus is. So week one, we talked about Jesus as the bread of life, the provider and the provision. And last week, Pastor Evan did a great job talking to us about Jesus as the light of the world. Amen. Way to go, Pastor Evan. I don't know if he's in here, but you can give him a shout out anyway. Great. And this morning, we're going to grapple with Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd. But first, a story. The year was 1212. And a blue-eyed shepherd from France had a vision directly from God. Legend has it that he even approached King Philip of France and told him that Christ had given him an instruction for another crusade, another crusade to reclaim Jerusalem. The king promptly dismissed him because young Stephen was only 12 years old. And his vision from God was of a crusade led by children. You see, the fourth crusade had ended a few years earlier, and it had been the worst. Of all the periods of the crusades, this, the fourth, had been its lowest ebb, and so many of the crusaders in the fourth crusade never actually made it to Jerusalem. The trip had become little more than a raiding mission, so the mood of the day was one of shame, mixed with some zeal for reclaiming Jerusalem, but also despair of saying it's never going to work. And so maybe because of that, there was something appealing about the innocence of children that maybe God would bless their efforts where the great warriors of Western Europe had failed. And so it was that by some accounts, 30,000 children followed the young shepherd Stephen. The heart full of dreams and songs on their lips. They marched southward and adults would gather on the side of the road cheering them on. And as they marched across France, some abandoned the mission. 
Some were worn out from the heat and the physical strain. Others kept marching only to die in the Alps from starvation or exhaustion. And those who made it to Marseille thought that the waters of the Mediterranean would part for them, opening a way to Jerusalem just as the Red Sea had parted all those years ago for the Israelites. But no such miracle occurred. They were able to gain passage across on seven ships, but that was the last anyone saw of Stephen of Cloyes and the Children's Crusade. Later accounts claim that several ships that the children were on had sunk in the stormy waters of the Mediterranean, while other children were taken on ships to North Africa and, and sold into slavery. Some of the details of the story have been challenged by modern scholars. There's no doubt myth and legend and lore has been woven in. And this is one of the stories from which we get the legend of the Pied Piper. This young shepherd leading a children's crusade. The basic storyline remains intact. A group of young people followed a leader with a compelling dream. Many of them died along the way. Few returned home and none ever reached Jerusalem. Now when we think about Jesus being a shepherd, it brings up all kinds of fears for us because this is kind of our worst nightmare, that you invest your hope or your dream or your life and your future and your potential, isn't that what children represent? And you invest that in the hands of some great mission, some calling, some church, some leader, some cause, and then it all fails. And somewhere along the way, if you've lived long enough, you have experienced disappointment with people, particularly disappointment with leaders. Maybe you experienced disappointment at an early age in the home that you grew up in with parents. Maybe it was after that. Maybe it was a teacher who let you down or a coach or a pastor or a boss or a politician. Somewhere along the way, we've encountered people that we sort of bought in. We said, yes, I believe that dream. I believe that vision only to have it all unravel. And we're left holding the bag and saying, wait a minute, what? And so what happens to us over time is we begin to play it safe. We begin to say, you know what? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't know about you. And I don't know about you. But nobody cares about me like me. So I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to play it safe, tone down all this excitement about how we can help and how we can serve, turn down all the rhetoric about community and belonging. And Let's just turn the dial down a little bit because I'm not so sure I believe that because when it comes down to it, I'm not ready to trust anyone because nobody takes care of me like me. And in walks Jesus, announcing one day in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And maybe the most offensive part of this for us as modern Western Christians is the implication here that to see Jesus as a shepherd means I have to understand myself as sheep. And you're like, now hang on a minute, if there's one thing I'm not, it's not some dumb, vulnerable, weak, dependent animal like a sheep. I'm a lion. I'm an eagle surrounded by chickens. <laughs> you know? I'm Simba 
being cackled by hyenas. I'm not a sheep. No, don't compare me to that. So we're not able to even get to this place of saying, Jesus, you are a shepherd, because actually the, the, the mere metaphor evokes all of the pain of having to say that we are dependent and weak and in need of someone else to take care of us. I'd rather not. I can fend for myself. I can provide. I am my own shepherd. I can find green pastures. I can lie down by still waters. I can prepare a table for myself. I did it my way. I can do this. Actually, the situation for us is not all that different than it was in Jesus' day. The shepherd imagery didn't appear out of nowhere. It wasn't like Jesus and his PR campaign said, you know, we've got a pretty good branding strategy, Jesus. Let's go with shepherd. That's going to make people think of warm, fuzzy, literally, uh, images, and they're just going to feel good. Actually, the shepherd image is rich in Scripture. The very first leader of the people of God, Moses, is called a shepherd. And the way we're introduced to Moses in Exodus 2 is a story of Moses being a shepherd. And then when Moses is about to die in the book of Numbers, there's this concern that if the people don't have another leader, they're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. And so Joshua is raised up. The, The book of Numbers tells us Joshua is raised up to be another shepherd of the people. But the greatest shepherd of Israel was David. David was this legendary king that they said, ah, that's it. This is the one we've been waiting for. And so Psalm 78 is this psalm that that pays a little bit of homage to David. It says, and God chose David, his servant, taking him from the sheepfolds. God brought him from shepherding, nursing ewes to shepherd his people, Jacob. You're like, wow, isn't that great? From the back hills with his dad's flock to God's flock, the people of Israel, to shepherd his inheritance, Israel, David shepherded them with an integrity, with a heart of integrity, and he led them with the skill of his hands. But it doesn't take long before we realize that not all the kings and leaders of Israel were good. And so Ezekiel has the scathing rebuke of the leaders of Israel. Ezekiel was a prophet that was kind of a wild man. I mean, he might not be welcome at our meal group. I mean, Ezekiel was just was kind of, if you read this book, this guy had a bizarre way of enacting the word of God. But here he is with a very strong word. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have not, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search for them. Things have gotten to the point now where it's like, wait a minute, 
we're seeing this, and this is not working out. All of the leaders, there is a systemic injustice to this. The whole system is broken. These kings have rigged the system so that they get rich and the people starve. See, this is an old story, isn't it? It's an old story. But actually, God warned the people of Israel that this is always where the story was heading. If you start going down the path of asking a human to be something for you that they could not be, this was always the story. 1 Samuel 8, this is way back before they even had a king. This is when Samuel was the prophet. He would later anoint Saul as king and then David as king. Samuel is the one who is mediating for the people God's kingship to them. And the people say, yeah, Samuel, that's great and all, but we want a king. Give us a king. And so, in verse 10, 1 Samuel 8, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him, and he said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now, if you've got a Bible open, circle every time you see the word take. And if you're reading along, say it out loud with me when you see the word take. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will Take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. Skip down to verse 13. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Wow. Take, 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 take. Pastor Jason was pointing out to me a couple weeks ago that that same Hebrew word there, take, 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 is used of David when it says, and David took Bathsheba. And so now we're like, wait a minute, I thought, didn't we have that nice song about David? Wasn't he the greatest? And the Bible's like, well, everything that every other king did, they took, they took, they took, David took. And this is the storyteller's way of saying to us that even the best leaders will fail you. That even the most amazing person that you have hope in will end up taking from you. And I think this is what happens whenever we set something up to be our shepherd. Anytime you ask someone or something to be for you what it, it could never be, it's going to end up costing you. It's going to end up costing you. You say, wait a minute, I love this job. This is the greatest job ever. Five years later, you're like, I hate this job. I'm always working. And so someone's like, hey, you know what, I got the answer. The answer is just quit your job. That's not the answer. The answer is stop asking your job to be the shepherd. It can never give you what you're asking it to give you. And when you ask it to give you that, it'll just end up taking. 
It'll just end up taking from you. Oh, I love this community. This community is everything. This, commu- this community provides all my needs. This community takes care of me. This community is my shepherd. And then you're like, oh, this community stinks. They're so needy. My friends just... Maybe the problem is we've set them up to give us something they could never give, and so they ended up taking it all. You've begun to trust in something else, someone else, asking it to be your king, your shepherd, your source, and it could never be that. What's the worst job you ever had? Just call it to mind, just briefly. Did it have something to do with the boss? <laughs> uh, maybe. I know that as we're sitting in this room, there's a good chance that many of you have experienced some profound pain because of bad shepherds. Some of you have experienced deep pain because of bad shepherds. Maybe a teacher, maybe a coach, maybe a boss. Maybe a pastor. And there's a good reason. There's a good reason why it's difficult to let someone else be your shepherd. Because your fears were not unfounded. You're like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew this would happen. So you've been proved right. And it's much easier to hold it all in and play it safe. I want you to know God not only knows that pain, but he makes that pain personal. Listen to the rest of Ezekiel 34, the rest of what God says to these bad shepherds of Israel. He says to them, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord. Surely because, now listen to this pronoun, my sheep. God's taking this personal. He's like, "Uh uh-uh. You're not just messing with somebody, you're messing with my sheep. Because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd, because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am against the shepherds. I go, God doesn't take sides. Yeah, he does. He always sides with the oppressed. He always sides with the marginalized. I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. God's taken this personally. If you're here this morning and you feel an anger about the injustice that you've experienced or the pain that you've endured. I want you to know that the anger that you feel is no match for the anger that God feels. We talk about the love of the Lord, but we don't speak enough about the wrath of God. God in Ezekiel 34 is ticked. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, no more of this. Don't you treat my people like that. And you think about all of the injustice in the world the, the Christian response is not to say, oh, well, I'm in the sweet by and by, you know, it's just, I don't know. The Christian response 
is to say, I am turning this over to the one who's angrier than I am about this. I'm turning this over to the one who has more indignation about this than I do. I'm turning this over to the one who is against bad shepherds. That's what God says. I'm against the shepherds. If you're going to systematically work the system to abuse people and oppress people, if you're going to misuse power as a way of inflating and and, and feeding yourself and starving others, if you're going to abuse authority and influence that way, the Lord says, I'm against you. I'm against you. And this is the first step in realizing what a good shepherd really is. A good shepherd knows when there's a wolf in sheep's clothing. A good shepherd knows when someone else has been working like a hired hand. And I don't think it's until we are able to face that and see God's own anger on our behalf that we're able to actually embrace Jesus as the good shepherd. And so every other time that a situation comes up and you find yourself going, ah, it's an invitation to say, okay, Lord, where do I need to turn over my anger to your anger? Where do I need to turn over my sense of justice over to you? so that I can open up my heart again. It was almost 10 years ago or so when Pastor Brady came and became the senior pastor at New Life Church. And it was a tender time for all of us because we were reeling from a failure, a failure that left a deep mark of disappointment in many of us. I was in my late 20s at the time, And I remember a friend had kind of uh, let it slip, let it leak that there was rumors of Brady implementing a dress code for the staff. So trivial. So trivial. But my response was not. My response was to craft a mass email that went out to the whole ministry staff, not my best moment, (laughs) saying how you don't know who we are. And (laughs) proceeding to give a little sarcastic lecture about how Coloradans dress up. (laughs) It's like, this is not Texas. It's like, for us, a blazer is an REI jacket. (laughs) Wingtips are chacos. You don't come in here with it as I stand here dressed like this today, right? (laughs) The hypocrisy is through the roof, right? (laughs) And I was so agitated about the potential of a staff dress code, so petty. And Brady found me (laughs) that day, and this was the beginning of our hearts kind of being knit together, but he said, uh, hey, so about that email... (laughs) It's like, yeah, uh, I probably didn't mean, you know, like, I just, you know. He's like, no, 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 I will, you know, set that aside. So, what's going on in your heart? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not ready to trust leaders again. I'm nervous about a leader coming in and saying what we are going to do or not do. I'm, 
I don't want my eggs in somebody else's basket anymore. I'm not ready to put my life in somebody. Ah. And I realized, that was the beginning of me realizing there was some work to do. I wasn't ready to be a sheep again. Didn't work out so well the last time. And God says, not only that he takes it personally and that he's against the shepherds, but he says, and I will rescue my sheep. I will rescue them. So Jesus shows up and starts talking and calls himself the good shepherd. He's not just pulling this as a nice campaign slogan because sheep conjures up nice images in people's minds. This isn't a nice campaign speech as he goes about kissing babies and blessing children. This is Jesus saying to the people of Israel, I know you've been under the thumb of some bad shepherds. I know. And not only is Yahweh the great I am against the shepherds, but remember when Yahweh said that he himself would come and rescue. That's me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's me. This is on. And so in verse 12, he says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for my sheep. If you read this passage, multiple times Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Why? What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying every leader you've ever known has taken and taken and taken. And I am the good shepherd because I give and give and give. Why is Jesus the good shepherd? Because unlike all the kings of Israel, he did not take, he gave. He gave. Everyone else came so that you could become poor while they became rich. Paul says, he became poor so that we might become rich in him. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Jesus is the only leader you've ever known who gives and gives and gives. That's why he's the good shepherd. Why is he the good shepherd? Because he became vulnerable and weak. He became the lamb who was slain. John's gospel opens with John the Baptist looking at Jesus and saying, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ten chapters later or so, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Why? Because he's the shepherd who became the lamb of God who was slain. The shepherd who became the lamb who was slain. You know what that means? That means that in your lambness, in your weakness and vulnerability and pain, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He's not a shepherd from a distance. He doesn't shepherd via email. I know my own and my own know me. He doesn't shepherd from afar. He doesn't outsource his shepherding work. He doesn't delegate you to somebody else. He says, you know what, Rick? I take this personally. I'm going to shepherd you. I'm going to shepherd you. 
I became the lamb who was slain so that there is no suffering that God does not know. There is no pain that God does not feel. The good shepherd who became the lamb who was slain.